The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, March 27th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Laura Kirkman, a teacher who holds a master's degree in special education. Laura is the mother of two, including a recovered daughter, Molly, and really appropriate to this show, I have a special announcement from the new movement, the Thinking Moms Revolution, about the Autism One Conference being held May 23rd through 27th in Chicagoland. You can join the revolution with the Thinking Moms in person at Autism One. The idea behind the Thinking Moms Revolution was born at the Autism One 2011 conference. The Thinking Moms will be flying in from all over the globe for the 2012 event, and they can't wait to see each other and all of you. They look forward to Autism One all year because it's the one time they can all be in the same room at the same time. They combine researching the latest treatments with friends and fun, so learn with the Thinking Moms during the day, watching groundbreaking lectures on pandas, stem cells, a Nobel Prize winner, and best-selling authors. And this year, the Thinking Moms will get their groove on hosting karaoke night. Come sing with them or cover your ears as they bond. Grab a drink with them at the bar and know that you are not alone in this fight. Your friends are at Autism One, and the Thinking Moms Revolution is going to be right there with you every step of the way. There's a wonderful excerpt on their uh, website, thinkingmomsrevolution.com, and I encourage you to visit that. And it talks about the fact that the revolution isn't just a bunch of moms and dads who rage against the machine, but it's a brotherhood and sisterhood of like-minded parents who find friendship and love while working towards a common goal. They're taking care of their children and incidentally finding that they're taking care of themselves and each other. And you too. So welcome, Laura Kirkman, to this show. And what do you think about that announcement? Well, I just think that is, it's so, that it's wonderful. And to be able to get together with other parents who have, you know, who have children with autism or, a, you know, are on the autism spectrum, to get to share, you know, therapies that we've tried, things that work, things that didn't work with parents who are coming in that may be new to the diagnosis, that's it's one of the things that I enjoy the most about being a rescue angel is the contact that I get from parents across the country asking about Molly's recovery and the therapies that we have used and 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 just getting to share that. It, it's a it's a wonderful uh, place to be in to get to share that information that I have. And these are educated parents, really highly educated parents, just like you educated yourself and researched on behalf 
of your daughter, Molly. And in fact, um, you do hold a master's degree in special education. So we're talking about highly educated parents coming together and coalescing at uh, the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference. You mentioned being a rescue angel, and that's an outreach of Generation Rescue. I happened to, for our listeners, I happened to meet Laura uh, at the National Autism Association conference, which is held in November in beautiful Tampa St. Pete at the Tradewinds Island Resort Hotel. It was wonderful meeting you there, Laura. Well, it was it was even more wonderful getting to meet you, Terry. Well, thank you. And uh, to also let listeners know that uh, the National Autism Association will again be having um, a child safety track at the Autism One Conference, something so important that they do to protect the health and safety of all of our children. Laura, let's talk about your daughter, Molly. When was she born? Molly was born May 6, 2004. Okay, so that would make her... Eight years old this year. <laughs> uh, how was your pregnancy? You know, I, my pregnancy was a, a... It was a normal pregnancy. It was not high risk. You know, it, it was a smooth pregnancy, except for the fact that I had lost my father suddenly about a month prior to getting pregnant with Molly. So, you know, while, you know, medically speaking, I had a normal pregnancy, uh, emotionally speaking, it was, it was a very hard pregnancy trying to come to terms and cope with the sudden loss of my father. So I, I wound up, you know, seeking professional help, you know, counseling-wise a couple of times during my pregnancy, you know, knowing how important it was being, you know, for me being pregnant to be calm, cool, collected, you know, as even keeled emotionally as I could be. And unfortunately, I just was all over the place trying to deal with my father's, you know, death. So emotionally, it was rough. Medically speaking, it was, you know, I didn't have any complications like high blood pressure or, you know, preeclampsia. And I didn't have any kind of complications like that. So that was already the third trimester when your father passed? No, ma'am. He passed a month before I actually got pregnant with mom. Ah, okay. So I was reeling, I mean, just absolutely reeling from my father's passing when I discovered that I was pregnant with Molly. Mm. Well, do you think that Molly's prenatal history made a difference? You, I, I have no doubt, you know, that my emotional, well, I would like to think that my emotional state, you know, um, had played a part in, in Molly's, I, I would say, subsequent autism diagnosis, knowing having a master's degree in special education, you know, you get exposed to literature that talks about, say, cortisol levels, and cortisol is the stress, you know, hormone, I believe, um, to where, you know, when you're exposed, when children in utero are exposed to high levels of cortisol throughout the pregnancy, you see behavior effects down the road once they, you know, enter into school. So, you know, having a master's degree, while is a blessing, can also be a curse at the same time when you know what the effects could be of, say, not being emotionally stable. You know what I'm saying? You Does know, I've wondered sense? about that type of thing. Um, they ask you that type of thing when you go to your OBGYN when you're pregnant. Um, but I, I talk to other moms. I talk to moms all the time. And I remember one mom in particular saying to me that she was happy as a clam, you know, her whole pregnancy. 
and um, her child still uh, ended up with the diagnosis diagnosis of autism. So I guess exactly. a lot of you know, so it makes you kind of wonder. You know, I mean, it, it, is it possible? I I would say, in my assessment, it, I think it was a contributing. You know, that that it didn't help the situation. Let's say. Certainly, stress never helps anything. Um, so, tell us about Molly's neonatal history. Um, I had her. Na- I, she was. I had her naturally. She latched on. I was able to nurse her. You know, the first four months. She developed, you know, she was gaining weight and she was developing normally and she was a happy little, you know, little baby when, you know, after I had her, you know, through, you know, the, the first year. Uh, unfortunately, she had a, a flu vaccine when she was running a low-grade fever, which I was told at the time that they were giving her the flu vaccine oh, don't worry about it, it's all good, you know, it's just a low-grade fever, don't worry about it. Of course, in hindsight, we now know you never vaccinate when a child is running a fever or showing that their immune system is, you know, dealing with some other issues. Right. How old was she then? She was about 10 months old and when she received think, that flu vaccine. Do you think that that had an eventual impact on... Molly's diagnosis, what symptoms was she showing uh, shortly thereafter, about a year old? Well, once, you know, she got to be a year old, you know, once she started walking, which was around the 10-month, you know, period, she was walking on her toes. She never put her heels down. Every step she took, she took on her tiptoes, and she put everything in her mouth. She did just an incredible amount of oral exploration of objects. And so, and it, she just, you know, physically she continued to, you know, gain weight and get bigger, but cognitively her development stagnated at that point. So that's pretty much between one and two years of age, there just was no, there was no cognitive development despite the physical development. So what did the pediatricians have to say about all this? Well, you know, again, this is, you know, an issue where being highly educated can be a curse because... You mean you're highly educated, not my, be, my being highly educated, I'm sorry, my being highly educated <laughs> might have been a curse because I'm, I, go, I would go into the pediatrician and tell, tell her that, you know, Molly's making all these sounds, she's making all the sounds that, you know, a speaker of English would make, however, these sounds are not coming together for words. It was... You know, she intonated, she made sounds, and but she just wasn't putting words together. And so the pediatrician, looking at me as a you know as a teacher, you know, felt like I had you know a, a sense, I guess, of of what was going on. But you know, the language would come if she was making the sounds. You know, the language would come. Well, what about the fact that she's toe walking? Oh, that'll that'll stop. Well, what about putting objects in her mouth? Oh, all kids do that, and I said, okay, but do they chew everything? You know, it just, I don't think the pediatrician ever really, I don't think she fully grasped, you know, when I said, you know, about like the putting objects in her mouth and the toe walking. It just, it was dismissed. I was, I was dismissed. So when was Molly actually evaluated and diagnosed? Well, it took literally a year between, you know, by the time she was one 
and she's walking on her toes. She's making sounds but not producing words because at one year of age, children should, you know, be acquiring words. You know, we spent a year, unfortunately, from one to two going in at each well baby check, communicating the same concerns about the toe walking, the mouthing of objects, and not making, you know, not putting words together, although she was making sounds. We just were dismissed, and finally at two, at two years of age, we got the referral for the evaluation of services. Um, Molly was, she was given an MRI. They did blood work to assess, you know, genetic abnormalities. They performed an EEG, and once we got those three set of tests back, we were told that the MRI showed a delay in the development of of Molly's myelin sheath, but that was all they had. That was all all the tests had revealed, and I just kind of got a shoulder shrug when I asked, you know, okay, is you know how is that having an impact on this? Is it gonna are things gonna change? Are things gonna get better? You know, when he handed Molly the PDD NOS diagnosis, you know, I, he he just shrugged his shoulders as far as would it get better, you know, is this where, is this how things are going to be for Molly? He didn't know, you know, he, and it was just what would be best in the situation for Molly, he felt was for me to just accept the PDD NOS diagnosis, stop blaming myself and, uh, you know, accept things and move on. Well, I hardly think that an impaired myelin sheath uh, adversely affecting neural con- connectivity um, uh, is uh Conductivity, excuse me, is worth a shoulder shrug, don't you? I was disappointed in the yeah. shoulder shrug and ultimately just found that unacceptable. Absolutely. Well, let's go to break. Uh, we will be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to this program sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back with Laura Kirkman. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Laura Kirkman, and we are talking about Laura's daughter, Molly. And Laura, so I announced in the beginning of the show that you have a master's degree in special education. While you were getting that, while you were getting your master's degree, was autism said to be very common? No, in fact, it wasn't. Um, to, to add a little to the master's degree in special education, my, the emphasis that I took was in emotional handicaps, which when I graduated in 2000, autism still fell under the umbrella of emotional handicaps. So, you know, it was what I was taught. I, I think we spent maybe half a class period in one class discussing autism, and it was, you know, the numbers were 1 in 10,000. From an academic standpoint, what I was told is this is the hardest population of students, you know, to work with. Don't hold out a whole lot of hope for these guys because their skill acquisition is very slow. So, you know, anything that's taught needed to be functional. How dare anybody um, disempower parents, caregivers, therapists, or teachers of students with um, learning challenges. You, you, you know, you can't prophesy um, what the future is going to be, you know, for a little kid. You know, my, a friend of mine was told to, lots of friends were told to institutionalize their children, and their children actually recovered, lost their diagnosis. Exactly. You know, so we're doing, you know, teachers, when you're, you know, learning, you know, earning your credentials to become a teacher, to be told from, you know, the starting line, don't do a lot with these kids because they're not going to do anything. What a huge disservice you are doing to the students. Exactly. And And it can become that. And that is why I was so fearful when Molly received the diagnosis that, you know, we were talking one in 10,000, uh, you know, I knew edu- I had been taught from an educational standpoint, you know, kind of pack up your toys, go home. You're not oh. going to do a whole lot with her. And I could not accept that. I could not accept that. This was my daughter, and that was I, I would not give up on her despite what I had learned in my master's degree. Well, good for you. Every person on every child's team must believe that that child can recover, must have a positive attitude. That child must feel it from that caregiver or therapist. Oh, absolutely. And I gave the way I saw it, you know, I was giving 110% to Molly. I expected everybody on her team to give 110%. And if you could not do that, we'll part company Thank you very much. No hard feelings. I'm going to go find the person who will right. give Molly what she needed. Yeah. Yeah. If someone doesn't believe in your child, they're not an appropriate member of your child's team. Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. Good for you, Laura. And, and it really panned out. It really worked out well for Molly. So, what were the first therapies you tried, and how did those first therapies work out? When Molly received her diagnosis, she was, um, you know, I remember Terry, you know, the the speech evaluation, taking Molly in and, you know, them asking her, you know, the receptive and expressive, you know, questions in the evaluation and her sitting there and spinning the wheels on a toy and 
I just, I, I just, I sunk. I just, you know, my, my heart just went right into my stomach. I just, I couldn't believe what I was, what I was watching in this evaluation that she just could not do any of the things that the speech therapist was asking her to do in the, in the assessment. And, and looking at the speech therapist, and I'm like, but, 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 and her saying, well, but we would expect more out of a child like Molly, you know, at her age, we would expect her to be doing X, Y, and Z. So with, um, you know, past the, the neurological assessment, you know, we got into the speech evaluation. Speech and occupational therapy were the two, the two therapies that were initially introduced, to, you know, that we first started with Molly. And, and she would make progress. She, you know, it would be baby shake little steps of progress. The problem was the bar kept getting higher and there was still this huge gap between what Molly was able to do and what a neurotypical child at the same age was able to do. And it just, we, we, weren't, we weren't reaching the bar, so to speak. So the traditional therapies, at least done first. Yes, ma'am weren't reaching the bar because we know that once biomedical therapies come on board and you're addressing the real underlying physiological roots of, of that particular individual's disorders, then the other learning type um, therapies can take better. So what did you try for Molly after the more traditional therapies? Like did you try diet first or supplements? Oh, no. We, you know, we did at one point... We had two speech therapists, occupational therapy, let's see, two speech, occupational, an ABA therapist, and I'm trying to, rem- I, we, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the, on the fifth, on the, on the fifth service that we had, but, you know, we spent thousands and thousands of dollars on ABA therapy while we were doing, you know, the speech and the occupational therapy to To try to address these these needs of Molly, she did not transition at all. Well, it was her transition from activities in her in the daycare that she was in that specialized in working with you know special needs toddlers. Um, she just could not go from one activity to the next. So we spent thousands of dollars trying to you know doing picture uh, schedules and we sang and we danced and we you know made it a big fun thing for her to go from one activity to the next but it just it just was awful you know she just did not transition that was a huge on on top of the fact that she had you know a two standard deviation below the mean language delay she you know had these huge transition issues on top of you know tantrums and you know it 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 wasn't Pretty. So, you know, we had a lot of a lot of what you would call inside the box traditional therapies going at one time. Now, when we started biomedical interventions, the very first intervention that we tried was the gluten and casein free diet. Okay. And how did that work out? And when did you add on did you add on any other diets? Well, we started with the gluten and the casein-free diet, and much to the amazement of, and I guess maybe I was the fifth person, you know, do on the, the five-person team at the time. Um, we started the diet. Within six weeks, all five of us on the team were kind of looking at each other going, are, are you seeing some changes? I'm seeing changes. You're seeing it too? Oh, thank goodness, because Molly's tra- these transition issues that we had spent thousands of dollars on with the ABA therapist to address disappeared. They were gone. 
we had wow. no more, okay, we had so no more transition issues just by starting the diet as well as essential fatty acids. You know, and that's when, you know, we started the diet. Then, you know, I worked in supplements such as, you know, Super Nutera, doing essential fatty acids, um, using probiotics. I had caused, you know, and of course, at, at the same time, had heard about Dr. Rosignol and wanted to get in, you know, get her, get Molly in to be a patient of his. Of course, it was a three, a three month wait at the time. So while I was waiting for that appointment with Dr. Rosignol, I, you know, started doing um, uh, the, the probiotics, prebiotics had actually caused some yeast die-off with Molly by adding in the prebiotic to the probiotic and had that just awful gritty poop that was every, it, oh, it was, it was awful. But th- those were some of the things that we initially tried while we were waiting to get in to see Dr. Rosignol and do some of the testing that he would, would order. Okay, and what about things like um, fermentation? Uh, you know, Sandra Katz is going to be at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference. I am so excited about that because I, I know Sandy personally and uh, lived in community with him back in the late 90s and was introduced to kombucha, you know, the making of kombucha and fermented foods from him. However, it was much down the road when we were fine-tuning the diet, the, the gluten and casein-free diet that I implemented the, the uh, you know, the things like the, the kefir the, and, the, uh, and the kombucha because Molly had such gut issues. I mean, she was really a gut kid, so to speak. So you talked about diet, gluten-free, casein-free diet. You talked about uh, fermented foods. Uh, essential fatty acids, probiotics, all good stuff. Did you do any lab or other diagnostic testing along the way? Well, once we got into doctor, you know, to see Dr. Rosignol, his part of his, you know, initial evaluation of Molly was to order more blood work where he found that Molly's ammonia levels were off the charts. She clearly was not processing the protein that she was, you know, that she was eating and and I and I asked myself why this was not part of the blood work that the neurologist had done because you know having a high ammonia level you see the behavior effects of but you can't look at a kid and say oh their ammonia level is is high. What do you mean behavior effects? Well, you know, I mean ammonia when you pick it up you pick up a bottle of ammonia, of ammonia in the in the grocery store and you read the back of it they talk about how you know toxic. You know the how what a toxic substance ammonia is. So the behavior effects being you know like the spinning and the flapping. You know a lot of the autistic behaviors. You know that that we saw once we addressed the ammonia level. That was part of you know part of what came. You know that we saw a diminish in you know some of the autistic symptoms with Molly when we started addressing the ammonia issue. He ran a microbial oat panel and found that Molly's yeast markers were just, at, you know, again, off the charts. What's so, an oat panel? I'm sorry? What is an oat panel? A micro, it, it's a urine test that's performed by, um, I think, Great Plains Laboratory. And it's, it's, a, it's a urine test that looks for yeast metabolites, other gut bug, you know, uh, metabolites, I guess, you know, like clostridia and other, other gut bugs. So it's a... It's a urine test for gut issues. Okay, so that's the organic acids test, and 
So when these different bugs are in you, they put out these these biomarkers, these kind of chemical things that you can pick up in urine? Obviously, yes, because that's what, you know, the, the test resu- results showed that, you know, not only, you know, with the blood work that the ammonia level was high, but according to the microbial oat panel, she had high levels of yeast in her in- intestinal tract. Mm-hmm. So good. So you had that objective laboratory testing that um, that was a roadmap of what to address, and we'll talk about this more when we come back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. We'll be right back with Laura Kirkman. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for new reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Laura Kirkman, and we are talking about her daughter, Molly, who's recovered and things that helped Molly along the way. And some of the things you mentioned, Laura, um, were gluten-free, casein-free diet, fermentation, supplements like probiotics and essential fatty acids, um, supernuthera, and um, we started talking about laboratory testing, and you mentioned the organic acids test which shows metabolites of various things in the urine and lets you know what bugs are going on. You also wanted to mention the urinary porphyrins. Yes, ma'am. Um, the urinary porphyrin test was another um, assessment tool that Dr. Rosignol used, you know, to try to get a handle on what was going on inside of Molly's body. And when we got those test results back from France, she had, you know, quite a, a body load of, you know, of heavy toxic metals 
she also had a large amount of neural inflammation, which I believe the ammonia, you know, the high ammonia level was a contributing factor to the amount of neural inflammation that Molly had. Her, her, the marker, it's, it's a neo, it's called the neopterin marker on the porphyrin panel, but it, her marker was so high it placed Molly in the top four percent of Dr. Rosignol's practice. So her, the, the inflammation that was in her brain that they found through her urine with that porphyrin test, I was, again, surprised. You know, well, they did an MRI. Why, why was this not revealed in the MRI? Clearly, the techno- you know, MRI technology is just not sophisticated enough to detect the amount of, you know, to, to detect the inflammation that Molly had neurologically, you know, speaking. So it was huge for Molly to bring down that neural inflammation, that neopterin marker of neural inflammation. So MRIs don't show what all of the structural stuff going on, or clearly, you know, if the MRI told us there was a delay in the myelin sheath and that's it did not detect the neural inflammation that Molly had, then you know one would certainly conclude that you know the technology is just not sophisticated enough. Thank goodness we have tests like this this urinary porphyrin profile that you can run that does detect this amount of, of neural inflammation, that, that even though the MRI doesn't have, the technology's not there with that particular test, you do have other resources like this urinary, you know, porphyrin test to, to discover things like neural inflammation that other so, assessments might not find. So, for example, a child who has seizures might have a normal MRI, but an abnormal EEG. The EEG is going to be more sensitive to what's going on with them. Correct, correct. And, you know, and Molly, again, her EEG was, was normal. She didn't have any, there was no issues, you know, when they did the EEG with, with Molly. So I was just glad that, you know, that part of Dr. Rosignol's assessment was this urinary porphyrin profile so that we could get a handle and see what was the toxic load of heavy, you know, of heavy toxic metals as well as what was going on with, you know, any neural inflammation that so- she may have been having. Explaining this a little bit more to listeners who may not be familiar with this, when when these toxic uh, heavy metals go into your body, they mess with things it, like uh, enzymes, like enzymes in your body. And so when you take this urinary porphyrin profile, um, the biomarkers that come out tell you what kinds of things were messed with in your body. Exactly, and and it, this is, these just are not tests that are inside the box standard medical practice. Although they absolutely should be for every child that receives an autism diagnosis. Luckily, you know, fortunate enough with, that we have doctors like Dr. Rosignol that we can go to to get these kind of assessments done. When you get that shoulder shrug from the neurologist, well, you know, maybe it'll get better, maybe it won't. Quit worrying about it. Stop blaming yourself. At least you've got a route to go so that you can continue to pursue this, these kind of issues. And he's, he's prolifically published, isn't he? He's a very, very published author. And, in fact, there are many published research studies out there talking about um, all of the various uh, physiological issues that we talk about uh, that are found in kids with autism from all sorts of scientific disciplines. Absolutely. You know, um, 
it thank you know when 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 all the blood you know when when Dr. Rosignol's assessments came back with the blood work and the the urinary pro, uh, porphyrin test and the microbial oat panel we were we were fortunate fortunate enough that we had a route to go with each of these issues okay we you know the ammonia is high we need to bring that down we need to address the 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 yeast in her you know intestinal tract we need to work on this heavy Toxic, you know, the load of heavy toxic metals, you know, we need to address, you know, we, we had a way of addressing all of these issues that were revealed through Dr. Rosignol's assessment. You had a clear and objective roadmap. So which therapies that you implemented for um, these signs that you had, these clear signs, seemed to work best for Molly and worked best for which symptoms? Well, I would, I would, you know, we. It wasn't long after we got Molly's assessment. You know, we got the panels back from Dr. Rosignol, and with the amount of neural inflammation that Molly had, given Dr. Rosignol's work with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, it was clear that we needed to try that. You know, HBOT to see if we could reduce the amount of inflammation that Molly was. You know, that her neural inflammation. So I would, you know, bringing down that ammonia level was huge. Addressing the neural inflammation through hyperbaric oxygen therapy was was a big part of it. But I would also say, you know, feeding her starving brain. You know, Jacqueline McCandless, one of the first books that I read, you know, Children with Starving Brains. Molly clearly was a child who had a starving brain. So really beefing up the the supplements and making sure that she was getting what, you know, the things that she needed. Because clearly she couldn't get it out of her, her diet with the amount of gut issues that she had. She was not processing her food correctly. So, you know, putting things in like, you know, enzymes to help her digest the food so that her body could get the nutrients out of it, you know, that, that was a big part. So, you know, it's, I, I firmly believe Molly's recovery is rooted in the, the synergistic effect that occurs when you put m- many modalities together. Right. There's, uh, there's a consensus that cleaning up the gut is foundational um, because, uh, for one thing, if your gut is impaired, you can't get the nutrients that you need. Exactly. Um, for another thing, if your gut is impaired, things can get into your bloodstream and go to your brain that ought not be there. Right, which um, is what makes the diet so you know so successful for a lot of children is the fact that they're not able to process the gluten and the casein because those are long strand amino acids that break down to peptides. And when you have a leaky gut, you know when you have high levels of yeast that bores holes into bores holes into the intestinal tract, then you've got these you know peptides leaking in that get read as morph you know as morphine like substances. So when you see kids spinning and flapping and have a glassy look in their eyes, you know, and they're, you talk to the parents about, well, what kind of foods do they eat? Oh, my gosh, they drink a gallon of milk a day and nothing but chicken nuggets. Well, they're, you know, it's because they're feeding this high that they have off the gluten and the casein that's, that's not being processed correctly and being read like a, like a morphine, like a person who would be addicted to, more, uh, to morphine or, or a drug like that. So if the gut is impaired... Um, you can't get the you can't get good stuff, good nutrients. You do get bad stuff going up to your brain, and then um, 
if your gut is uh, has a pathological condition, that's going to affect your immune system. There'll be chemical messengers, and your immune system will get all riled up, and then that will um, the chemical messengers can go up and perturb your nervous system. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you look at you know the whole digestive cycle, you know, the the chain is as strong as its weakest link. And if you're not breaking down your food properly, you can't absorb the nutrients that you need out of your food. You have elimination issues. So you see kids, you know, constant. Molly had huge issues with, you know, with constipation. So if, you know, if there's just, if it breaks down at one point in that whole digestive chain, the cascading effects to the other, you know, it just, it cascades. And then it creates the issues like you're talking about where, Things leak into the system, and then they, you know, the gut, you, you have to appreciate the gut-brain connection, you know, as far as what we put into our bodies and what happens to our minds when it's not, you know, foods aren't being broken down properly, you know, your, your brain is going to be affected by it. And I think that's one of the things that traditional doctors just don't appreciate, that gut-brain, you know, connection that, that is clearly in place. So Molly improved so much that she was able to stop speech therapy. So uh, was that before or after you did things like chelation and hyperbaric oxygen? That was afterwards. Um, we started the diet in October of '07, and she was dismissed from all of she was dismissed from all of her services by November of '08. So 13 wow. months after starting biomedical intervention. So we, we started, you know, the diet in October. We saw Dr. Rosignol, or it would, that would have been October 07, saw Dr. Rosignol for the first time in January of 08, started uh, HBOT in April of, of 08, you know, and did the, the 40, you know, the, the two 40-hour, you do two hours, 42-hour cycles, I'm sorry, pardon me, um, to assess the efficacy once of HBOT, that is. Once Molly got to that um, that thirty hour mark with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, it was just amazing. The things that started every single dive, things got better for Molly. For Molly, in that her speech, she lost the what I call, or people in radio at least call, a canned sound to her speech. Like it had a very rehearsed sound. The, that was gone. That, you know, there was no more echolalia. The eye contact was good. Her her tolerance for her, you know, younger brother that's, you know, less than two years, you know, younger than her who was constantly in her business, you know, her tolerance for, for Butch was, you know, in, increased. It just it was just amazing. And clearly we were addressing the neural inflammation and the, and the inflammation in her gut that once we really started to bring that down, that's when the ver the what that that's when typical behavior came about. You know, we lost lost a lot of the autistic symptoms, and she started looking like a, a neurotypical four year old. Yeah, I saw Molly and Butch at the National Autism Association conference, and you absolutely couldn't tell the difference. You couldn't tell there was ever an issue with Molly. So good job. We will be right back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Laura Kirkman. Thank you to our sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Professionals and families who are dealing with autism face challenges that can lead to many questions. Questions about how to understand, communicate, and support each other. Every week, Autism Today with host Dr. Patrick J. Rydell will focus on dealing with the diagnosis and the day-to-day challenges of autism spectrum disorders. Dr. Rydell will combine his 30 years of experience along with featured guests from the ASD field to provide their insights and answers to your questions. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Laura Kirkman talking about her daughter Molly who recovered um, even with uh, a bump here or a blip there along the road, charting a steady course with a good doctor, uh, put them on the right track, gave them a road map, and uh, it sounds like Molly has had a, uh, a swift and wonderful recovery. Uh, Laura, did you do chelation along the road? Any lessons learned from that? Yes, we did. Um, of course, you know the porphyrin. Going back to the porphyrin test, the, that por- the profile that showed the total body load of, of heavy toxic metals. It was, you know, clear that we needed to try chelation, you know, or something to try to get the, that load, trying to lower the load of heavy toxic metals. So we did try chelation therapy with Molly. We did about five rounds of chelation therapy with Molly and, and again, saw lots of improvements with chelation. Of course, you know, and we had all the other, you know, was using HBOT and the diet and the supplements and all the other modalities. But unfortunately, when we got to the fifth round of IV chelation, she, the, we stirred up the gut bugs, again, because some of the chelators are sulfur-based and that sulfur basis tends to stir up, you know, some of the gut bugs. So she developed, you know, clostridia, the yeast came back, and so we saw a bit of a return of the autistic symptoms when we stirred up, you know, when those gut bugs were stirred up. So we stopped chelation, we addressed the gut issues, and, you know, within 7 to 10 days of addressing those gut issues, the the spinning and the flapping, say, that had returned from stirring the gut bugs up had disappeared. So I, that was a, I can say, a very frightening time when you're when you're on this path of recovery and you've got all this great progress. To see any return of autistic symptoms can be very, you know, deflating and upsetting. And so, you know, the the lesson learned from doing the chelation therapy, of course, was you know that it, it might have been a little more aggressive than we, you know, had wanted to be. We certainly didn't want to stir up gut bugs, so we wanted to look at some other avenues like. Far infrared, uh, the far infrared sauna to try to address the heavy metal toxic load, and and you also have to consider at this point, you know, Molly was doing so well; she was already dismissed from her services when we tried the chelation therapy. 
you know, when you've got that kind of progress in place, you really have to ask yourself, do we need to be so aggressive with, you you know, with some of these therapies? You know, had she not been speaking and, or not had any words, sure, we, you know, we would have addressed the gut issues and gone right back to chelation. But because she was doing so well, it, it seemed like the thing to do to kind of back off and, and go more natural with, with a therapy like that to address the heavy metal toxic load. Sure. Had you gotten some sort of a second opinion or something that caused that bump in the road? Well, exactly. You know, Dr. Rosignol had, had recommended that we, you know, just chelate her twice a month, you know, every two weeks, give her body a rest, not be, you know, aggressive, you know, or super aggressive with it. I unfortunately came home with that information and found a local doctor who would do the chelation therapy who talked me into doing it once a week with Molly. And, and it was doing the chelation therapy once a week that was clearly too aggressive that caused the return of the gut bugs had we done the twice a month like it had been, we had been told to do by the expert, we might not have seen the increase, you know, we might not have seen the return of the gut bugs like we did by doing it once a week. So you found the better way for Molly was to go low and slow. Absolutely. Low and slow and using a more, you know, a, a more subtle therapy like the far infrared, you know, the far infrared sauna. To, uh, to address that, uh, that total body load of heavy toxic metals. And there's a new organization, too, and um, I believe Dr. Rosignol is the, pr- the, the president of it, and it's called MAPS, and I'm just going to look it up for listeners right now to make sure that I get the web address right. It's www.medmaps.org, M-E-D-M-A-P-S.org, Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs, and they'll be having some rigorous standards and training for um, physicians so everybody's on the same page to uh, proceed in the safest and most healthful manner for the kids. So she was dismissed from, from services and doing well with her brother and, and other kids. When was Molly considered to be recovered? I started using the term, you know, reco- you know, Molly being recovered from her autism diagnosis when she no longer qualified for services. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that she necessarily looked exactly like her neurotypical peers at that point, but she certainly functioned at a level that was high enough that she was, she, how do I say, you know, she was, she was closer to her neurotypical peers than she was previously, but, you know, I guess that's when I started using the term recovered with Molly, although we continued with other therapies that we still have in place to maintain her recovery. So that was kind of key. Get the dismissal from her services was, was a real big sign that, you know, that, that we could, to me, that we could use recovered, recovering, you know, those kind of terms to describe Molly. And what's your take-home message, Laura, for other parents? Please, don't accept any doctor's opinion that that they don't know what to do to accept the diagnosis, quit blaming yourself. Please, please don't accept that and pack up your toys and go home. Please find a physician like Dr. Rosignol that is qualified to to address some of the the biological symptoms. It seems like so many people in the medical profession just don't understand that autistic symptoms can be developed from abnormalities within the body. 
So, you know, please look, look at what's going on inside your child to see if there's, you know, could be a possible cause for the autistic symptoms like we were, like we had with Molly. I would say there is no magic bullet. There's no magic bullet in recovery. It, recovery occurs from the synergistic effect of many therapies being in place at one time. So the key is to put as many therapies in place as you can, you know, because that's what benefits the children, our, our kids the most, is, is doing as many things to address autistic behaviors as you can, like diet and supplements. And, and if you can use hyperbaric oxygen therapy while you're still doing your speech and your, your, your occupational therapy, you just you want as many modalities in place to address the symptoms as possible. Don't don't one at a just don't just do one and, and not do others. You want to do as many as you can at the same time to address the autistic symptoms. And and you can do it. If I can do it, if if I can recover, if I say I if my family, my husband and I and those involved, if, if we can do this with Molly, other parents can do it with their children. You've just got to try. You've got to make the leap of faith and and try these therapies and and please don't give up please <laughs> and if you think you're going to find me on the generation rescue website please find me and contact me so i can talk you out of <laughs> giving up please that's well, what i, I guess would we do. should let listeners know that you're a rescue angel in florida yes ma'am okay <laughs> uh well laura i want to thank you so much for sharing molly's hopeful story of recovery with our listeners I'm, you know, Terry, I'm so thrilled. Thank you so much for providing me the opportunity to share with you and your listeners, you know, some of the therapies and the things that we did with with Molly because, you know, I'm back in the classroom teaching. I'm, I'm a professional again, and there was certainly a time where I never thought I would be. I thought I had walked away from teaching. My life would be nothing but managing Molly's, you know, health and her and her autism. I just, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today, talking to you about recovery and and how possible it is, or, you know, back to being a professional. I just, I so hope that parents walk away with, with the hope that they can, you know, knowledge that they can, you can do this. You can do it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. Well, you're your daughter's best expert and your daughter's best teacher. So thank you for teaching us here today. And uh hope to see you down in Florida at the National Autism Association Conference in November. I'm going to be there with rings on my fingers and bells on my toes. <laughs> okay. To our listeners, my guest next week is the illustrious Dr. Martha Herbert, here to talk about her new book, The Autism Revolution. Dr. Herbert will also be presenting at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 Conference in Lombard, Illinois, May 23rd through 27th. Please visit www.autismone.org. And I want to thank this program's sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.